prepared Psalm 91 and 92, but we may not get that far. We'll see. This Psalm 91 is God's inner circle. And the conditions are given for how that we can dwell in God's presence. If you notice verse 1, it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We talk about a place of residence where we dwell. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. Remember in John chapter 1 where the disciples asked Jesus, Where dwellest thou? And he says, Come and see. If we want to know where Jesus dwells, let me read that for you in John chapter 1. Verse 37 says, Two of the disciples heard him speak when John said, Of course, behold, the Lamb of God. But it says, Two of the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. In other words, they had a couple more hours before the evening. It was about the tenth hour. They came and abode with him that day. You know, we're like that. We just go in and out of the presence of the dwelling place of God. We may. It says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. We're talking about a continual dwelling there, abiding there, lodging there. Most of us will run into the secret place and then out of the secret place. A man is truly blessed that can stay in the presence of God. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. Remember John the Beloved? When the supper being ended in John chapter 13, the Bible says he was lying on Jesus' breast. Peter says, you know, uh, Jesus had mentioned that one would betray him. Peter says to that disciple lying on Jesus' breast, John the Beloved One, he said, ask him who it is. Find out who it is. He knew that John was, was in a very close relationship with the Lord. Let's turn and, and read that in John 13. It's very interesting. John 13, it says in verse 21, uh, When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Jesus had warned them, One of them, one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. This is John chapter 13, verse 22. Uh, verse 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. You know who this is? It's John the Beloved. And, and, of course, John is the author of this gospel. John was not going to say, I was leaning upon Jesus' breast because I was real close to him. That would be pride, wouldn't it? That would be boasting. That would be claiming to be so close to God and leaving others apart. But John wasn't like that. There was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. Who was going to be the betrayer? He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? By the way, he got an answer. Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son, son of Simon. 
And by the way, it was done so discreetly. It says, And after the sop, Satan entered into him, then said, Jesus, and him that thou doest do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. You see how discreetly Jesus did this? Even though he revealed it to John, and I'm, I'm sure that uh, by Peter asking the question that John was willing to pass the word on to Peter, but nevertheless it was done so that all the others, that none of the rest of them knew, no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. So we find that uh, dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. And by the way, the abiding, it says, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The, the abiding must be com uh, continuous and constant. And as I said, we rush into God's presence and out of God's presence. And sometimes we feel we're very close to God. And then other times we feel at a distance. But we need to be abiding in His presence in a more uh, consistent way. In John chapter 15, let me read this for you. In verse um, 4, it says, Abide in me. Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. Jesus is telling us, He says in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Verse 7, look. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. So it's very important that we stay close to the Lord. Have close fellowship with God. Notice it says in our psalm, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. This secret place is in close fellowship with God. The Bible says if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. So we need to walk in the light of God's Word and walk in the light of fellowship with God. In the Old Testament, the Bible says, Enoch walked with God and was not found. Well, God took him. God took him on to heaven. He walked so in so close fellowship with God that God one day just says, let's just walk on into heaven. Just come on up. So he was abiding in the secret place of the Most High. And uh, you and I need to learn to walk with God in close fellowship. And I'm sure we don't as much as we need to. I'm sure that most all of us just come in, as I've said before, in and out instead of abiding. We need to get up of the morning with the Lord on our minds, with His Word on our minds, with prayer on our hearts. We need to go through the day in the same, uh, with the same atmosphere and motivation and aspirations. We need to... In the evening, when we before we go to bed, confessing all of our shortcomings before God, and we need to go go to bed with God's word upon our mind that says, "Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight what is in the law of the Lord, and in His law that he meditate day and what night." You know. I get a questionnaire once in a while from the government about how many hours I put in as a, as a preacher. How are you going to divide that? That's about the silliest question I ever heard. And they want, you know, they want an answer. And I say, listen, you know, when I'm going down the road, I'm trying to work on a sermon. Is that work or is that, is that a part of my ministry as a pastor? 
Or do I just discount that because I'm driving an automobile at that time? You see, you cannot, when you're a preacher, you're a 24-hour-a-day preacher. That's what you are. And you really are working 24 hours a day. At night when you're going to bed, you're thinking about what you can use in a sermon. During the day, you're, you're doing the other things, uh, other things that are necessary. And there's no end to your work. And you cannot put a time clock on. There's no way you can put a time clock on. The fellow goes to work at a factory. He punches the button at 8 o'clock in the morning. And uh, at 5 o'clock, he punches the button again. Well, the day's over. That's fine and then. But that's not the ministry. And uh, so some of these questions that people ask that do not understand spiritual things and uh, uh, men that work in the Lord's work that has it on their mind and heart day and night. Somebody says, well, how long does it take you to prepare a sermon? You're preparing it from all the time. You're always preparing the sermon. And you're always preparing it way ahead of time. And you're always drawing back upon things that you've already prepared and looked at. And you're bringing those back and refreshing your memory on all things. So, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Look at that. Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Here's a place of, you know, we've seen a place of residence, dwelling, and a place of privacy, the secret place. And here's a place of safety or shelter, a place of protection, under the shadow of the Almighty. That's God's protection. Remember Psalm 23, David said, Yea, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He says, I have divine protection even in the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 23, verse 4. Place of residence, a place of privacy, a place of safety, shelter, and rest. And the next is a place of trust. Look at verse 2. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and in Him will I trust. Verse 2 is a place of trust. Do you have that place of trust? We're talking about something that this promise must be taken personal. Look in verse 2, if you will. Notice five times you have a personal pronoun, I and my. I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge. I have I circled. I will say of the Lord. He is my, circle my, refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. You know, it may not make a a lot of difference what others say about, you know, trusting God as in a general term or general fashion. Through dealing with, too often we deal with generalities. We say, well, we trust in God. Well, we, does that mean I? Does that mean you? Does that mean each and every one of us individually and personally? Or does that mean that we trust in God? He says, I will say. We say what we will do. We're not afraid to speak that our trust is in God. I will say of the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. People flee for refuge. For many reasons. What kind of refuge have you found? The Bible says we fled for refuge to Christ in several places. Uh, the Bible says, 
as John preached, he says, Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And fleeing from the wrath to come, we fled to Christ for a refuge. In the Old Testament, there were cities of refuge that the children of Israel were to flee to in case of uh, being accused of a crime that maybe was something that happened accidental. And they had cities of refuge. And they had them convenient. They were near. They were provided. Christ is convenient. He's near and He's provided for every one of us. And, you know, they put uh, six on each side of Jordan. So that one's on one side and flee in, in, in the cities of refuge. They had all these cities of refuge convenient for the people. To, and they were near. They were in strategic locations. Well, the Lord is in such a strategic location that He's nigh unto all that call upon Him, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10. What said the Scripture? Do you have to go up to heaven to get Him and bring Him down from heaven or down to the deep and bring Him up? No, He came down from heaven and He suffered for our sins and He came back from the grave and now He is nigh. The Word is nigh thee even in thine heart and in thy mouth. That is the Word of faith which we preach. Here's how near it is. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's how near it is. Near it is to us. So, we're talking about a place of divine protection. We're talking about the fact that it is a personal matter. I and my. Five times you find it there. Look at verse 3 now. It says, Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Surely he shall deliver thee this is a place of deliverance. He will deliver thee from Satan's traps. It's promised for all those who meet the above conditions. The Bible tells us that, that some need to recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Look at First Timothy, no, it's Second Timothy, chapter two. Second Timothy, chapter two. Let me give you this. If I can. Second Timothy, chapter two. And verse 25 and 26. It says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Isn't it awful to be opposing yourself? It's bad enough if someone else opposes. But see, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, they oppose themselves in rebellion, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive the word taken captive means take, taken alive by him that is uh, by Satan at his will they've been so opposing themselves that they've submitted to Satan's captivity you see if we do not turn to God the devil's going to take hold and take us alive and so let's not oppose ourselves in the sense that we would reject the gospel and the good news of salvation there are some people that are just on the verge of accepting Christ and they will not do it. They just will not do it. Well, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. You know, I'm concerned about a lot of folks too that have opportunity to to live for the Lord that, that do not put uh, Him first in their lives. Brother Nichols was commenting a little bit ago about uh, so many... Uh, empty pews tonight in a sense and we do have a lot of people out and I'm sure that uh, there's some that have a reasonable 
excuse for not being here or a good reason for not being here for some reason, maybe sickness or out of town or whatever. But I'm sure also that there are many people that could be here tonight that are not. I'm just about as sure of that. And so we know that God has to take priority, doesn't he? And His Word. And if we're going to have the blessings of God, we need to realize that uh, that the devil is there to oppose us. He's going to try to lead us into his traps. 1 Timothy 3, verse 6 tells us that the preachers, young preachers, can fall into the devil's trap. It says, Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, listen, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. A novice sometimes. Young preachers... They get the idea that, boy, they just are really something else. I mean, you know, the best that the world has ever seen. Well, it didn't take me long to figure out that I wasn't. I mean, very hardly long at all. And, uh, you know, there was a meeting, I think, uh, reminds you of a young man that came up, you know, and just was in a fellowship meeting, and a young preacher came up to the pulpit, other preachers had preached, and he thought, boy, I'm just going to show them how it's done. And he got up there, and he came up there just really sprouting up uh, to the pulpit. And he opened his Bible, and he started laying it out there, and he got to going so fast he left the Lord far behind. He got way ahead of the Lord, you know. And he was really thought he's, he finally began to slow down. The tempo seat slowed down, and all of a sudden everything kind of went flat. and He didn't know what to do, and he just kept on and... Finally, he ended his message, and an elderly lady back there, he came down just, you know, not like he went up. When he came down, this lady put her arm, her hand on his shoulder and says, Young man, says, if you'd have gone up there like you came down, you'd have came down like you went up. And, you know, if he'd have gone up there with an humble spirit, with an attitude of dependence on God, he would have come down with a flush of victory upon his face and he'd said, well, you know, God used his message. But sometimes our attitude makes all the difference in the world and uh, the way we appear and try to, to do. So, and by the way, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, <clears throat> let me give you this. It says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You know, the devil can take advantage of us. And the Bible tells us that we uh, should uh, do the other necessary things in order to keep him from taking advantage of us. So back in our psalm, Psalm 91 uh, and verse... Three, surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. You know, the fowler tries to catch the birds. He sets a trap for them. And from the noisome pestilence. So he's the great deliverer. He not only delivers us from Satan's traps, but he protects us from a plague or a mortal disease. Deliverance from God's presence and, and power. <coughs> and then we find protection from danger and harm. Look in verse 4. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. He has protection from your, from danger and harm. We sing a song, Under His Wings. 
Remember Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? But ye would not. He says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. You see, the opportunity for God's protection and comfort is there. And many times people reject it until it's too late. He says to Jerusalem, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. The Bible tells us that He will uh, keep us as the apple of His eye. In Psalm, let me read it for you. In Psalm uh, 17, verse 8, it says, Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. That's Psalm 17, verse 8. The apple of your eye. The, your eye. With, there's a very tender. You know, you get just a little speck of dust or anything, and you close your eyelid, and it's just, you know... It, it hurts. That that has God has given us protection. He's given us a door to shut up, a lid to cover it. You know, that acts as a door over our eye. He's given us the eyelashes. He's given us the uh, the fluid or the water that washes out the dust. God has made complete, made a very complete provision for the eye. And, you know, God is going to take care of us. He shall cover thee with his feathers, back in our psalm, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and, and buckler. He has protection for us from harm and evil. And then there's a place of courage in verse 5. Look, thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. Deliverance from fear, a place of courage. How many things do we fear? We fear poverty. We fear troubles. We fear sickness. We fear death. The Bible says that He might deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And only Jesus can take away that fear of death. It doesn't mean we still are not uh, anxious about the situation. But it does mean that the Lord will give us grace that uh, in the hour of death, just he does as he does in the hour of life and the hour of trials. And so there are a lot of things we fear. That thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. The Bible says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Do you have a lot of fears? Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. Let me read it for you. Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. The word everlasting strength means uh, the rock of ages. You wonder where some of these writers of old got their titles for their songs? Here's one. The marginal reference says everlasting strength means the rock of ages. We sing a song. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. We sing a part of that song says, Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer know? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Sometimes people feel like the more they shed tears and the more they can uh, uh, bestir themselves, if you pardon that language, or try to identify with it, to repent more and to be more sorrowful for their sins, you can only be as sorrowful as God will help you to be sorrowful for your sins. You can only repent. You know, God says that, that we have to repent of our sins. But the Bible says that He will give repentance to Israel and remission of sins. 
What God requires of you, He will give you. In other words, if God demands of you repentance, He will give you repentance. So to the very uh, degree of your need of repentance, God will give you that repentance if you're of a broken spirit. We all are sorry for our sins. Have you ever heard? Uh, have you ever seen people that felt like that they couldn't repent enough for their sins and therefore they could not be saved? It doesn't matter how much you repent of your sins. You can't, you can't do anything about that. Did you know that? You can't overdo it or you can't underdo it. You can't do anything because it has to be of God. God has to bring the conviction and you have to feel in your soul, heart and soul that, you know, I'm sorry that I am a sinner. And, and I'll repent. Repentance means change of heart and thought and mind and turn to God. How they turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So, so God works repentance in us. And the degree of it depends upon how, how He brings us into the feeling and the emotion of that experience of, of our sinfulness and our need to turn to God. And everyone is in a little different category in this way. You've had little boys and girls that they just heard them. They've heard the story that, uh, you know, Jesus is the Savior and that all of us are sinners. And once in a while they say, well, you know, I know that I've, I told Mama a lie or Daddy a lie. They still realize they're a sinner. They may not realize that they've sinned against God. They may not realize how deep, deeply sinful human, humanity really is, but they turn to the Lord. And they've repented of being a sinner just by turning to God in a very simple and and maybe informal way. But it doesn't make any difference. They turned to God. They knew that they needed the Lord. That's why that everyone's conversion cannot be uh, measured by someone else's conversion. You just can't do that. I used to hear old Cecil Simmons. He was a converted drunkard uh, from Florida. He preached in a little old church in Fort Worth there at Victory Baptist Church in Kennedale. And Boy, he was telling about what all God did for him and he was out there lying in the gutter and he was a drunkard and he was this and that and the other and God saved him. That's great. I have nothing wrong with that. But he left the impression that if you didn't have this kind of experience, you couldn't, you couldn't be saved or couldn't be a preacher either. I thought, well, you know, that's not doesn't add up too much. God can save anyone and, and everyone's not a drunkard. And, and those that were alcoholics, thank God He delivers many people from those things. And I, I'm grateful that, that He had that experience, but that didn't mean that I had to fit right into His category, or you or someone else. So, deliverance from fear. We fear a lot of things. Let's put our trust in the Lord. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the air that flieth by day. Look at this next verse. Nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Do not fear these things. Protection from the plagues which may come as well. Protection from all the plagues. Deuteronomy 7, verse 15. Let me read it for you. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 15 says this. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness, and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which thou knowest, upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. Now, it doesn't mean that Christians will not get sick, but it means that as Israel of old, their blessings were measured by material and physical blessings. 
Ours are measured by the fact that we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and he will deliver us out of all of our problems as well. And he will help us through the times that we that sickness may come in our lives. But the great plagues the, the, that would destroy our lives, he's going to be there to, to help us. And then we find in verse 8, divine justice will be in evidence. Look at verse 8. It says, only with thine eyes. Well, it, it, verse 7 says, a thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. We don't know how many times that God's people have been saved from the sword. We don't know how many times that, that we've been saved from, uh, from uh, tragedies that's happened to others on every side of us, like in the war. Brother uh, Randy and some of the brethren, many of you can testify, and Brother uh, Walker on the police force, many times I'm sure that he was in harm's way that could have just snapped his life out like that, and maybe several with him. Many of you have experienced that, that, whether you're in war or whatever. I remember I went over on a ship from San Francisco on a uh, uh, transport ship. They put 400 of us off on Guam, fleet replacements. Fleet replacements. 200 of us, I mean, they, there was 400 of us. Let me get, get it straight. There's 400 of us for fleet fleet replacements and they put 200 of us off on Guam and the others were going and I was in the 200 that got off on Guam and you know God just spared me it doesn't mean that I was any better than someone else it doesn't mean it just means that that's the way God worked it out in his providence and uh, you know there were 200 of us there uh, that that did not go down with the ship sunk by a Japanese submarine so we never know what will happen. But there are so many stories that all of us could tell, I'm sure, of how that God has, when there be danger, a thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. God says he has divine protection, sometimes for his own in certain special ways. And then he says, only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Sometimes the wicked are destroyed right before our very eyes. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, it says, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. Have you made God your habitation? He's your refuge and your habitation. And then divine protection is offered. He says, There shall no, look here, There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. See, God's promise is to protect His choice servants. In this next verse, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest, it in, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Remember that we use this this morning in our message. And Jesus quoted a part of this verse, didn't he? I mean, Satan quoted a part of this verse in temptation of Jesus. And Jesus, of course, could have sought divine protection. Let me get that straight now. I want to put that back. I said it wrong. Satan quoted a part of this verse as he tempted Jesus. And we studied it this morning. But if you'll notice in this verse, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. It means when we're walking in the way of God, divine protection is promised to us. Divine protection from all harm and evil is conditional. 
We must live close to the Lord and walk in His ways. It's when we get out of the will of God that there's danger. And Satan tempts us to act on our own and get out of the Lord's will as he tried to tempt Jesus to act on his own and get out of the Lord's will. We preached on that great temptation this morning. And then we find it says, He shall give His angels charge over thee. Not just one angel, but angels. God, you know, people say, I have a guardian angel. You may have more than one guardian angel. You may have a whole bunch of them. He shall give His angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Angelic protection even includes protection from stumbling and from falling. Proverbs 3, verse 23 says, Then shalt thou, uh, then shall there thou walk in the, thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. You'll walk in your way safely, and your foot shall not stumble. You know, by the way, in 1 John 2, verse 10, it says, He that loveth his brother, there is none occasion of stumbling in him. There's none occasion of stumbling. So love of the brother helps us to not stumble. We're walking more in the ways of God when we walk in the ways of loving our brother too. Let me read that for you. First John chapter <coughs> what did I say? First John chapter two and verse ten. It says this. He that, lo- he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness has blinded his eyes. So if we're in fellowship with God, we're also in fellowship with uh, having love for our brother. And that will also be an indication that we will walk that we're walking in the light and that we will not stumble and fall. That we have God's divine protection. Look again in our, our Psalm. It says uh, in verse uh, eleven, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. He's the keeper. Angelic protection. And it says in verse 12, they shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Even the least thing to harm us, dash your foot against a stone that would hurt us or cut us. And then in verse 13, victory over our enemies. Victory is promised. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon, shalt thou trample under feet. Victory over all of our enemies are promised. Paul says in Romans 16, verse 20, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. We sometimes wonder why the devil still gives us problems and trouble. And Paul says that God, the God of peace, is going to bruise Satan under your feet shortly. So we just have to be patient. The time is coming when he's going to bring that to pass. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of times God in His divine providence protects us. In Acts 28, verses 3-5, through 5, we find where uh, Paul was shipwrecked and uh, he fell on this certain island. And when they were escaped, let's see, let's read verse 1. When they were escaped, when they knew that the island was called Melita, 
And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain, because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat, fastened on his hand. When the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffered him not to live. I said as a murderer first. And then they said, And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit, when they, they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. You see how people are? The snake bites you, and you fall down dead, you're a murderer. The snake bites you, and you live, you're a god. See? But you know, in God's providence, he protected Paul. Divine protection was his. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. In verse 14, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. Look, the Lord is speaking now concerning his servant. Because he, look, God is saying, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. God is the deliverer, right? So you see, it's a change of personage here who's talking. Therefore will I deliver him, I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. That teaches us to love him, and set our love and affections upon God, and then God will take care of these other things. Do you see the person is speaking? Look in verse 14. God says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. It wouldn't be the psalmist saying, because God has set his love on me, I'll deliver God. But it says, God is saying this. I will set him on high. God will set us on high, because he has known my name. Promotion is promised to those that love the Lord. Promotion now and promotion hereafter. Set on high. God is the one that lifts you up now, and he's the one that will lift you up hereafter. Paul says, our light affliction, our afflictions which are but for a moment, worketh for us, our light affliction. Can you imagine Paul calling his afflictions light? When Paul gives a list of them, he tells about being the night and the day and the deep and beaten with rods and stripes and 39 times or 40 stripes save one and, and shipwrecked and in hunger and thirst and fastings and, and uh, naked and in need of clothing and need of uh, provisions, and he said, all, "Out of them all, the Lord delivered me." And then he says in the Corinthians, "For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a, mar, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory." While we look not on the things which are seen, for the things which are seen are what temporal. All of these things that we see, and all these things of afflictions and life itself, temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. And then we find it says in verse 15, He shall call upon me and I will answer him. A promise to answer prayer. Prayers will be answered and honor will be given. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him. Boy, God will do a lot of things for us. Look, he says, He, that's you and I, we shall call upon, he shall call upon me, that's upon God. And God says, I will answer him. 
and I will be with him in trouble. Well, if we don't need God with us in trouble, you know, Paul, uh, not Paul, but Job said, man that is born of a woman is of a few days, and they are full of trouble. And we all can identify with that. He says, I will deliver him and honor him. Now, see, when you're in trouble, God will bring you out of the troubles, and he will not only do that in answer to your prayers, but he will give you honor. And then, then look at verse 16. Long life and satisfaction promised. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. God says, I'll give you life. Long life. We don't understand why that sometimes the righteous are taken out of this life early. We don't understand why there are exceptions to the rule when God says long life he will give. But on the other hand, we know that the, the general rule is that people that live for God and serve God, God will give them the blessings of life, and as long as they need life, He will extend that life. Sometimes long life for some people is not what long life is for another person. My mother lived to be 96 years of age, but some people are, it's a long life at, at 80 or 70. It depends upon the condition physically and mentally and, and uh, all the way around, the whole person and their needs. But God has given us and extended our days and we're thankful for them.